And uh, in, in Nehemiah, here's what I want us to think about is what do you do when you get bad news? What do you do when you get bad news? There's kind of generic, you know, not generic, but there's sort of global bad news or national bad news, and then you have personal bad news that you get that's related to you or family. But you see, what do you do? What did you do when you heard about the Evalde school shooting? What do you do with that? You know, there can be sadness. I think a lot of times I make sounds that are just, ah, oh, ah, oh, you know, just, just horrified. Oh, it's terrible. Um, probably you run to your news feed and try to figure out, well, what really happened? Anybody doing that? Like, what really happened? Like, so you're trying to find articles that, um, you just shake your head and, and you're like, well, what do you do? What do you do when you get bad news? How do you process it? What's, what should we do first? How do we take that in? And, and there's constantly bad news. There's constantly, so what do we do? And the question, and we're going to see today, is there a, is there a biblical response? We take our whole uh, path from the scriptures as God's word to us. Did he give us a pathway for bad news? Did he give us anything that uh, can guide us? Because we're going to get bad news all the time. So here's what I'm going to show us today. And uh, this is an acronym. See if it rolls off your tongue. WOMFPAD. WOMFPAD. It sounds like a Star Wars creature or planet, but uh, WOMFPAD, it's a biblical response to bad news. I know it doesn't roll off the tongue like NASA or FOMO or some of those, but here's what we're going to see. I thought maybe if you said it enough times, you might remember WOMFPAD. WOMFPAD. It stands for weep and mourn, fast and pray, ask and do. That's going to be what we're going to see is a biblical response to bad news. Weep and mourn, fast and pray, ask and do. So we'll go through all those. Wampad. It's a biblical response to bad news. So that's where we're at. We've been following through this book, and I'll just quickly remind you the setting, the, the time in history that we're looking at what was happening with God's people. God's people in the Old Testament is primarily through the nation of Israel. And so we learn a lot. How did God's people and God work over the years? It teaches us. So in this moment in time, God's people have been in a bad place, right? They were rebellious, and so God allowed Babylon to come in and destroy them in 587 B.C. finally, destroyed the city, destroyed the temple, exiled all the people. But he said, it's going to be a 70-year captivity, and then I'll send people back. So Cyrus, the king of Persia, says, you guys can go back and start rebuilding the temple. That was 538 B.C. It took him about 20 years to get that off the ground, 518 B.C., the temple's open and running. And then uh, we looked this last week, 458 B.C., we looked at Ezra. Ezra said, I need to go back and check on the people who've gone back from Babylon to Jerusalem. How are they doing spiritually? All right, we saw that, and we found out he found really bad news. They were back to their old habits. So he was working on them to say, no, we can't do this. So that was last week. We talked about let nothing separate you from God. So that's 458 B.C. So when we finally get into Nehemiah, we're jumping just a few years. When we open to the book of Nehemiah, we've got, we're in 445 B.C. So Nehemiah and Ezra, they're at the same time. Basically, they know each other. They interface as you read this in this book. So that's where we are, 445 B.C. The Persian Empire is the main one in charge. The king is King Artaxerxes. And we're going to see, but, and God's people have built a temple, but they're still 
a slave nation. They're ruled by Persia. So first thing, I want to just show you the bad news. What's the bad news? Nehemiah gets some bad news. And then we're going to see how he handles it. What is the bad news? So Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev. That would be kind of like our December. That's the time of year. Chislev, in the 20th year, I was in Susa, the citadel. So he is not in Jerusalem. He's in Susa, one of the part of the Persia provinces. I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, so his own brother, came with certain men from Judah. Right? So they've gone and they're bringing him a report. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, concerning Jerusalem. Right? How's it going with our people back there? They said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So they've gone back. Groups of people have gone back. They've built the temple only, but the city, the gates, the structure, it's still just a mess. It's still rubble everywhere, and probably burn marks everywhere. So they're saying, yeah, the temple's built, but the city's a mess. There's all kinds of other nations that have moved in there, other people groups. They're hostile. They hate them. So he said the wall's broken down. He said they're living in a sense of shame, of lowliness. The city's a mess. It looks like a mess. And so that's really bad news, right? He was probably hoping to hear, it's going great. I mean, they've been back there for 90 years now, right? In 90 years, they haven't gotten very far. So he's probably, it's going great, and we're working on it every day, and things are shining up, right? No, it's a mess. It's still not working. We're still hated. So he gets bad news. So let's do our WAMFPAD. You ready? Got the acronym down yet? WAMFPAD. Weep and mourn. That's the first thing. Weep and mourn. Weep and mourn. So as soon, verse 4, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. There is the first response is just enter the grief. Some of you do this easier than others. You just, that's just what you do. But a lot of times we want to run, well, how do I solve it? What's the next step? Okay, well, who did this? Maybe some of your first response is outrage. Who did this? They're going to pay. Or, is, or what are they doing over there? Who's the governor? And we want action. We want answers. But the first step, just enter the grief. He just got bad news, and you can weep and mourn and enter the grief. No stiff upper lip. No action plan day one. You just got to enter in. There's something we have to go through in bad news of grieving. Your body your soul, you need to emotionally enter the grief process. If you skip it, it will haunt you. If you skip it, it will, it will just live inside of you, unprocessed and ungrieved. It's something that needs to happen. You need to grieve and mourn, and there's lots of psalms that do this. Why, oh Lord, and how long is this going to be broken? And this is, it just sit in the bad news. Notice he says before God. So this is not grieve and mourn and explode over social media. It's grieve and mourn before God. It's a time of weeping and crying prayer. 
For you kids here, if ever you're in one of those Bible verse tests and people say, do you know any Bible verses? What's the shortest verse in the Bible? This is the easy home run answer, right? The shortest verse in the Bible. Who knows it? Jesus wept. See, you're like, oh, I know a memory verse. It's John eleven thirty five. He goes to the tomb of his friend who died. Before he does the action, before he raises Lazarus from the dead, he just cried. He stood there and cried. He didn't think, I'm going to solve this in like 10 minutes so there's no reason to cry. He didn't think, I knew all along I'm going to raise him from the dead, so I'm just going to stand there robotically. He entered the grief. He actually wept. He grieved. Remember early on when we, we had news and really confirmed news that we had a, a child with special needs, someone said, you need to grieve that. There's all kinds of things to solve. What are we going to do? And what are the medical things? And what's the pathway? And we had all these. And someone said, well, you just need to grieve. What you thought was going to happen didn't happen. What you dreamed is a different dream. You just need to enter that grief. Just sit in it. Whatever that means, you don't have to be an out loud crier, but you just sit and process and grieve and think this isn't what I want. This isn't what I thought. This isn't working how it should work. And that's what, that's what Nehemiah does. No action plan yet. No, this is what I'm going to do about it. No accusations. No who's at fault. He just weeps and mourns for days before God. Right? The other danger of weeping and mourning is it takes you away from God. And you're mad at God. Now, there could be some struggle with God in there. Lots of the Psalms ask God, where were you and why did this happen? But it's still to God, not away from God. So you're grieving and mourning and questioning and wrestling before us. So that's just step one. Bad news, he weeps and mourns. Weep and mourn. That's the womp, womp. Then they get the fast and pray. And he says, I continued fasting and praying. Fasting is something that probably we don't talk about enough and maybe do enough. Maybe the only time you do it is because you have like a scheduled colonoscopy, so you've got to fast, and, and probably you're praying. But uh, there's spiritual reasons to pray, not just medical, re- or fast. The spiritual reason to fast, not just medical. But here, you know, fasting is a lot of times, I think whenever I fast, it's usually I'm fasting as a forward-thinking thing. There's something big coming. Uh, there's something I want to concentrate on. Uh, there's something I'm unsure about. And so I'll just, I'm going to fast to intensify my prayer. I mean, on the very practical level fasting, you can just take whatever amount of time would have been involved in food prep, food eating, and turn that into prayer. I mean, that's just the most rudimentary. If I would have taken me a half hour to get lunch... I now got a half hour to pray. If it had taken me an hour to cook and feed, I've got now an hour to pray. You've actually just taken one thing off your schedule and put in fasting. So it's, it's just, it can be that practical, but it also has a humbling. I'm humbling myself. I'm, I'm not eating. I need to eat, but I'm not going to eat. So I'm humbling myself. I'm lowering myself. I'm weakening myself. And it's a physical posture of God, only you can solve this. Only you can help. Only you can answer. And so I'm physically doing to my body what I spiritually believe. You are the only answer. I'm, spiritually do, I'm physically doing that because that's what I believe, that only you are my answer. So I'm putting my body in your hands. I'm putting my spirit in your hands. And so this fasting is actually a grieving fasting. I'm, I'm, I'm so upset, I'm just not even going to eat. I'm going to be in the grief 
And so I'm humbling myself. I'm putting myself in your care. I'm not even going to eat. I'm just going to fast. So if you've never done it, I just encourage you to, whether it's in the context of bad news or just your spiritual life of Jesus, I would encourage you to try some fasting. And I would say baby step it. Say, I'm just going to fast breakfast. And that whatever time I would have had for breakfast, I'm going to use it to pray. I just encourage you to try that. Or breakfast and lunch. A lot of times I'll do that on an office day. I won't eat breakfast, I won't eat lunch, but I'll come home and have dinner with the family. But those times of the day when I would normally be eating, I can read my Bible and pray. And then when you get the strong hunger pains, you say, ooh, that's a reminder. Lord, I need you. Or, ooh, that's a reminder. I'm grieving this sad thing. So that's just some practical part. But I would urge you to begin to include fasting. It's all through the scripture, people fasting for intensified, focused moments of prayer and humility. So he said he fasted and then he prayed. So that's the middle part. I want to show you, he actually gives us a pretty neat prayer guide. A lot of times we want to pray, and here we're specifically praying in the face of bad news, but how do we structure it? So he gives us one here. We see what Nehemiah does. He shows us a prayer guide. He starts with praise. You can write that in. If you want to be in prayer, whether it's in the face of bad news or any time, I encourage you to start with praise of God. So you see that in Nehemiah 1, 5. I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So even in the midst of very bad news... And uh, he's sad, he's heartbroken, he's weeping and mourning and fasting. When he starts to actually talk, we actually see his prayer structure, he still praises God, right? You're awesome. You keep all your promises. You have steadfast love. There's just something wonderful that when you set out to pray, you don't run right to the problem. Even though that's what you're feeling. Even though you're in some bad news, you're in a crisis, that we pause and go, you know what? You're still on the throne, and you made everything, and you love me, and you died and rose again, and you're the only one reigning, and you just go through whatever praises, and you keep your promise, and you answered my prayer that year, and you did this this time, and that alone can start to pull you through a hard time, but it's also just respectful of God. Yeah, you have problems, but I know who you are. So the first one is to start with praise. When you're in a prayer time, especially in bad news, start with praise, And then ask with humility. Ask with humility. See that at the start of verse 6. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray. There's a request. Would you open your ear and would you be attentive? Would you hear? You know, there there are some schools of prayer, groups of prayer that I, I feel border on sort of demanding God. You're going to do this. I declare that you're going to do this. And there's a certain boldness and urgency I like, but there's also a certain part of that God's not a tool in your hand. God, you're going to heal that thing and you're going to do it right now. Like, no, no, no. Will you? Could you? Would you consider? I know you, but that we don't come in with... <laughs> All right, God, get up, let's go. And we don't have that prayer tone. Where have you been? What's your prayer? No. 
We want to come in with humility. Would you hear this? Would you, who are watching over the whole of the universe, respond to my small problem? Right? That's a humility. So I think we want to approach God with praise and approach him with a humble asking. Now, we have all kinds of scriptures that tell us he loves to listen. And when we ask in his name, he hears us. So I'm not saying you have to tiptoe. He wants you to pray. But I think we also want to come with this huge sense of honor and reverence. You don't have to listen to me. You don't have to do anything that I'm asking. But would you? So let. Not you must, but let. Please, would you? So we want to start our prayer time with praise. You want to ask him with humility. And then you want to go to a time of confession. right? Before you start launching into the problem, there's a time of confession. And this I have here both corporate and personal. And this is something I don't have a lot of background with, but I want us to look at this. He said, let your ear be attentive. We saw that. And your eyes open to hear the prayer that your servant I now pray before you day and night. So he's praying a lot. And for the people of Israel, your servant. So he's praying for himself and the people. Now notice he says he was confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your service, Moses. And what I find interesting is Nehemiah was not alive when the nation of Israel was sinning and rebelling, which caused God to hand them over to Babylon. He wasn't even alive yet. He wasn't even born. And he's praying, we have acted corruptly. Our father, he enters into corporate confession for things that he wasn't even alive for. Now, I I actually was reading this, and I went to an event this week where I watched it happen. So I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. That's perfect sermon illustration. So I've told some of you this this week, but there was a very unique thing that happened in our community this week. And it started in 1973. Billy Graham went to Korea, and I believe it was the largest attended of any of his campaigns. And in, in, in one meeting alone, he had over a million people. I think they met on an airstrip. And over the course of several days, I think they had over three million people come from Korea. I think, they, I, think I read they had 75,000 decisions for Christ just at that three-day in Korea. And it was 49 years ago. And Korea now is one of the largest Christian nations in the world. South Korea, I should say. South Korea has one of the largest, strongest Christian influences in the world. But they, now almost 50 years later, are worried about the United States. And they sent 20 prayer teams from South Korea to the United States last week. And one of them came to Whatcom County. And so they were hosted by the Light of the World Prayer Center. And uh, Bill, who leads that, is going to be preaching here in three Sundays. So you get to spend, he's Scottish, he's a great guy. Bill Richardson. So I just got some photos here. I wasn't at this event, and they they must have put on some traditional Korean uh, things for that event. I don't know why they did that, but you see some of them here praying. Uh, They they prayed down at the Wacom Pregnancy Clinic was one of their prayer stops. They prayed up at the Peace Arch Park. They prayed. They prayed down at Olympia one day. They did seven laps around Planned Parenthood praying. 
And uh, so I attended a prayer time with them Tuesday. No, it was Wednesday. Okay, it's Wednesday. This was one of those weird weeks because we had Monday off. Wednesday, I went down to Hillcrest Chapel and prayed with them. And they pray really different than we do. Not just the fact that they're speaking Korean, right? I'm aware of that. But um, they pray all at the same time. And a lot of countries do that. We don't do it as much. We sometimes do. But when they say pray, I mean, it was like a switch. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And I, I mean, it, the first one, I kind of stumbled back. I went, whoa, I don't know what you're saying, but it's, they're on it. And they almost sing their prayers. And it might just be because I have no idea what Korean, you know, I don't know. But it sounded almost like they were singing their prayers. And there was a part where they brought up any pastors in the room. So I was actually in front of them. And they said, all right, we're going to pray for these Whatcom County pastors. And it was just like a wave of prayer. Um, I think there was 20 of them there. And they had someone translating back and forth. But anyways, one of the things we did, they said, we want to pray and confess the sins of this land. They live in Korea, right? I really don't know what they were praying. But they were praying corporate confession on America. And so I joined in and prayed. I prayed confession things I didn't do. Things I don't do. I just said, Lord, just forgive us. Forgive us from turning away from the word. You know, forgive us for violence. Forgive us for unfairness. Forgive us for uh, you know, the, all the innocent bloodshed in this land. For, and I just started praying things that I have no involvement with, that I don't personally do, but you just enter into a public confession, whether it's your fault or not. You just begin to enter in, Lord, we've sinned. This whole mess is because of us. And you just enter in. You might have personal confession, Lord, this is where I was failing you. But there also was this corporate sense. We saw Nehemiah do it. We have sinned terribly. He wasn't even alive for most of the problem. But he just knows as a people, we're going to humbly come before you. You can enter into your prayer time in sort of a corporate confession, even if you're personally not the offender. You can just say, my people, my nation. Right? There's all kinds of things our nation they're doing that are violating God's will. Even if you're not doing it, you can pray, Lord, forgive us for the way we're doing this and that. So there was the, those were the first four of our prayer guides. Start with praise, ask with humility, pray scripture. Oh, that's the fourth one. Pray scripture. Who wrote these notes? Okay, pray scripture. That's the next one. And so we see him do it. One eight. He actually begins to pray scripture. He says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, and then he actually quotes it, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. That's a quote from Deuteronomy 4. So it's a longer section where they're told on the front end, if you rebel against us, you're going to be driven to other lands. But if you turn back to me, I will restore you. So there's this powerful thing when you just pray Scripture. Lord, you said, and you just offer that as a prayer. Not as sort of like, remember you said that, where is it? I'm holding you to the fire. It's not that. It's just a matter of this is your truth. I'm going to pray back your truth. You said we'd be in a mess, and we're in a mess. You said when we come back to you that you would heal us and draw us back. So I'm praying that. And you can pray that in all your issues. Or you said you, you feed the sparrows. 
Lord, you feed my family. You said you want to reach all nations. Would you help me reach this person? You can just take God's will and God's word and his prayers and pray them into your prayer. So we, got, we start with praise. You ask with humility. You can have a time of confession, both corporate and personal, whether you did it or not. You just enter into confession and prayer. And then you pray scripture. And then the final one is to continually pray. Continually. I keep it going. I don't mean, you know, for, you know, eight straight weeks without, but pray over a long period of time. That's what I'm getting at. This, you might not, we might not catch it because we don't know how they called their months. But in one one, he says, this happened in the month of Chislev, which I said would roughly be our December. In two one, he says, in the month of Nisan, which is kind of our April. We got four months here. He didn't get bad news, pray for a day or two, and move on. We've got a four-month period of focused prayer. Focused prayer is four months of that. Weeping, mourning, fasting, praying, and then we just saw that outline. So I, sometimes I think we pray for something once or twice, a few times, then something new problem, so that moves to the top of our list and the bottom. And So I think there's a sense of stay on it. Stay on it. Okay, so here we go. We've got our fast and pray, and I just, that was fast and pray, and I just gave you the, uh, that prayer outline there. So let's do the last part, the womp, the ad part, was to ask and to do. To ask and to do. You're going to ask him what he wants you to do, and then you're going to do it. So this part, we need to jump there's a little bit of a story that's not, we've got to remember here to make this make sense. So if you're in 111, we get the end of his prayer. In 111, he says, Oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today. Oh wait, success, in, oh there's a plan? And grant mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. So all of a sudden we get a big piece of information. Nehemiah is the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, a Jewish man. And so it's this position where, you know, your first job is to make sure the king doesn't die. So the wine comes in, you sip it, maybe they watch you for an hour. Okay, that one can go to the king. You didn't die, right? I mean, there's a basic, like, we've got to make sure the king's not poisoned. But there's also this sense of they're in a very informal advisory role. They're in the room. They're serving the king wine, uh, the king might start to get to know him. Well, tell me where you're from, and maybe his tongue gets loosened, and they're becoming an important personal, non-official advisory role. So we get that little piece of information that Nehemiah is not just some guy. He's actually got a unique position here. He's the cupbearer. So he says, it's in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you're not sick? You weren't supposed to mope around the king, right? You want to be joyful and get him the stuff, and this is the best tasting one I've ever had, and you're not supposed to mope around and limp around in there. He's like, what's wrong with you? You're not sick. This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. So here's the part of the story that isn't told here, but we have to, I don't know if you remember, if you were here a few weeks ago, I told you in Ezra, the story jumped. 
Ezra chapter 4, 26 to 23, was, was a, a story that's actually taken from this time period. Now, if you were here and I told you that, Ezra wasn't going chronologically. That one little chapter was a story about a time earlier in Artaxerxes' reign when some people in Jerusalem were working on the wall. So we're in the 20th year of Artaxerxes' reign. I don't know what year this is. Could have been 10 years earlier, 15 years earlier. But they were actually fixing Jerusalem, and some local people there said, we hate this. No, we don't want you to do this. So they wrote a letter to King Artaxerxes and said, don't let him build the wall. Don't let them do it, because then they'll be fortified, and then they'll rebel against you, and they're a wicked, rebellious city, and they won't pay you taxes anymore, and you'll lose your foothold. So Artaxerxes said, you know what, you're right, stop. He actually made a command to not let them rebuild the walls. So now, Nehemiah is going, I work for that guy. He actually made a law, so he's going to have to change his mind. It's not just that he's going to have to consider, should I let them fix the city? He's actually going to have to go back on his decree, which I don't think you do that lightly. So first of all, he says, I'm afraid because I'm in his presence and I'm sad, and I'm not supposed to be sad. Secondly, I'm going to ask him to change a law that he personally made because he didn't want the city rebuilt. And I'm, so somewhere in there, this is the ask part of it, I think somewhere in that four month of prayer time, he's, he's grieving, he's mourning, he's fasting, he's praying, and somewhere in there he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? And somewhere in there, whether he directly asked that or the Lord just told him, we don't know, the Lord said, I want you, Mr. Cupbearer, to go ask him to let us rebuild the city. So that plan, it's one of those plans as you're kind of reading between the lines. So when you're in your prayer time, you want to ask, what do you want me to do? So he prayed, right, and give success. He had this plan. I'm going to cupbearer. And the second thing I think you want to ask, now what do you want me to do? How am I uniquely positioned to help? Could anybody else stroll in while the king's enjoying his wine and say, you know that city that you said we can't fix? Can we fix that? He'd be like, yeah, cut that guy's head off, right? You don't walk in there, right? So who knows? Nehemiah's whole life, he might have known, why did I get to be the cupbearer? And how did I get to do this? And I'm a Jewish person working for the Persian king who reigns over us. And this is just a wonderful job. And then one day God says, I'm going to tell you why you're the cupbearer. Because you are going to go talk to him at this perfect moment. So I think that's something you want to pray. How am I uniquely positioned to help? What do you want me to do? How am I un- what are the circumstances in my life that can help? And then the final is do, well, then just do what he tells you. Actually do what he says. So we're, uh, let me just read this last part. We're in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 8 here. Is, this is him doing it. So in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up, and, or I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? He's probably also thinking, and you won't let us fix it, right? That's underneath. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So right there is a huge favor. He didn't say, well, get out of here. I'm getting a new wine bearer. 
What do you want? So I, and here's that moment. I highlighted this. This is that last second prayer you do, right? You got the scary thing. You've been praying for months. And then you're right at the moment and you have one more. Oh, Lord, please help me. You do those? And I was like, okay, I got a last second prayer. So I prayed to the God of heaven. <gasps> and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. He's like, send me there. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, well, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I'd given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river. That's what they called that area. That they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortresses of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for, for the good hand of my God was upon me. He doesn't say, I asked him a really good question. God did it. So then we have do. (laughs) You do it. Right? So we weep and mourn. We fast and pray. You ask, God, what do you want me to do? What am I uniquely positioned to do? Right? You might not be the cupbearer to the king. Right? You might not be in a, a, you know, the cupbearer to the governor or whatever. Like you might have none of that influence, but you might have something. And then when he actually says to do it, you do it. Right? So there they are. Weep and mourn, fast and pray, ask and do. And so I just encourage you to, to put that into practice. I'll just tell you, in the last couple of days, here's the list of bad news that have just come through my ears. <laughs> Started in my own house. My daughter was rear-ended in a horrible hit-and-run accident, right? Just crushed the back of her car. Thankfully, she's here and okay. But that was some bad news, right? That's some stuff we're still got to work out. Thankfully, they arrested the guy, right? I had uh, uh, Stephen ask for prayer. Was that private, Mark? Okay, Stephen, our drummer, has a serious family issue, and he's asking for prayer for a, a medical situation with his dad. That just came down. So he couldn't drum. He was up all night praying. Uh, another one said they just got a stage four cancer diagnosis. Uh, another one, uh, their mother just died. Another one's in the hospital. Like, this just came to me in the last 48 hours. Is anybody here facing bad news? <laughs> I just named a bunch of you, right? A bunch of you. So this is, this is real life. This is not theory. This is not if you want to go to some special weird pastor school for prayer. No, this is like right now. Right now, you can begin to do this. You can weep and mourn what's going on. You can take time to fast and pray. And then you can ask God, what am I uniquely positioned to do? It might be something super simple. uh, Or it might be something profound that your whole life was building to this moment and you didn't know it. And now he's saying, I want you to do this. I want you to ask the king. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. I just thank you that you asked your father, can this cup pass from me? But not my will. And then he went to the cross for us. You did it. Lord, we're facing bad news all the time. Personal, national. And we just ask that we would be people who have a plan. We would run to you both in sorrow and request I just pray that you give us boldness to ask you what you want us to do and then to do it. But that we wouldn't skip those steps of grieving and mourning and fasting and praying. Lord, lead us. I just pray a blessing over this whole congregation, Lord. They're your people, not mine. So I just pray that you do powerful things this summer. You actually don't need me to accomplish your purposes. And so I'm thankful for that.
I just pray that you do your purposes in this group this summer. It would be a summer of just deep joy and trust in you, of new fruit, of working deep in the lives of this, this congregation. And I just thank you for their love for me. And we just thank you for your love for us. And we pray this in your name. Amen.